How does one woman disrupt the multi-billion dollar plastic wrap industry and become trailblazer of a global movement? Our guest has been featured on Dragon's Den, won the 2018 TELUS Trailblazer Award, been named a woman of influence and so, so much more. 14 years ago, she was just looking for a natural way to store her food. And through extensive experimentation and testing, she found a solution to keep food alive by protecting it from air, light, and moisture while allowing it to breathe so that it remains fresher longer rather than be subjected to the punishment of suffocating plastic wrap. Her company is based in Victoria, British Columbia. Her products are sold online and at hundreds of retailers around the planet. Please welcome the CEO of Abigo, Tony DeRosier. Hello, Gare. Thank you for that introduction. Well, it's great to have you here. And I know diving right in, people will want to know what is it that you develop that's the clearly a healthier and more efficient uh, option than plastic wrap? So mm -hmm. here's what I know, Tony. It was you being like the Einstein or Edison of the of 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 the wrapping business, right? But can you take us, that'd be a great place to start, take us right back to that day when you had your eureka, your epiphany moment, and, and explain to everyone what you found out. Sure, I'd love to. So um, it, I, I call it a bit of a long burn. The epiphany happened over a course of time, but it started with um, my background as a holistic nutritionist. So I have a really great relationship with fresh living food. And I started to question, how do we take a fresh live food out of out of its breathable and opaque peel and then put it into something like plastic wrap which looks nothing like a food's peel and expect it to stay fresh and alive and that set me on the path to understanding and and discovering and developing a product that would be a food wrap that nature would recognize so i developed the very first reusable beeswax food wrap beeswax Beeswax. Beeswax is a primary ingredient, and that's that's kind of how it's been come and become known is as a beeswax food wrap. But it is it's a bit more complicated formula than that. Right. Hence the name of the company, Abigo. That's correct. But what I think is fascinating is how you even landed on beeswax to begin with. Like that yeah. to me is. You know, we we all know that story, Tony Edison, with the ten thousand experiments that failed, and voila, there's mm -hmm. the light bulb. I can just imagine the testing and retesting, and why beeswax? Yeah, that's a great question. It's so funny when you go back fourteen years; it's hard to remember all the details. But ultimately, um, I set myself with some really strict rules. Uh, the ingredients I used had to be completely plastic-free chemical free they couldn't have been altered by any like chemical process they had to be readily found in nature and they already had to pass um, an fda food contact um, i didn't want to have to put anything through fda so i set those rules for myself and those rules set me up with this very strict box that i had to behave in 
and as a nutritionist in, in the world of kind of that holistic nutrition, I was quite familiar with beeswax and its properties. And so I was looking for things that were antibacterial, antimicrobial, um, you know, had that water barrier, had been used someplace in history for, you know, an adhesive or um, a protective barrier. And that was kind of like how it set me off on the path. And what, did, and, and what did history tell you, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, well, so the first thing I did, which anybody would do, is I googled alternative food wrap. And surprisingly, there are there were no searches for anything like that. There was no search for natural food wrap. There was no search. Basically, it was just plastic food wrap. That's all we really had known. So I went to the library and I started to look at old, um, basically stories. There weren't really great reference books, but I would just flip through stories of, you know, how people were talking about food in the past. And I went to museums and I looked at how um, different um, artifacts that were found mm. that were used for food storage vessels. And those were kind of my inspiration points for the product. So, and we're talking, I'm just going to guess, I'm going to make a leap here that you went back like centuries ago to figure out how did previous civilizations deal with food preservation. Uh, it, it's been said that the further back you look in history, the further forward you can see. I'm just, I'd mm. be interested to hear your personal reflections on that. Yeah, the, I mean, historically, there were always very consistent patterns, you know, because we didn't have synthetics. So the major consistent pattern was that everything used to keep food for any period of time was breathable. There was no airtight materials. We didn't entomb our food and, and you know, take our fresh apples and lock it and seal it and trap it. Um, we put it in environments that were cool and airy and breathable and protected. Um, so that was the thing that I noticed. But then I wanted to make something that had the conventional usefulness of plastic wrap because as annoying as plastic wrap is it's undeniably convenient right. and I wanted my product to fit in a modern day world and have the same um, benefits as plastic wrap from a usefulness can you do a dramatic reenactment <laughs> right on the spot on the day you knew this is going to work <laughs> the day I knew it was going to work oh that's a good question. I mean, I am a person of vision. I see many, many things. And I remember sitting in my sunroom, this little tiny 10 by 10 space. And all of a sudden I had this image in my mind of just being surrounded by boxes, just piles and piles of ego all around me. And they all had somewhere to go. And I, I think that moment that was within the first eight months of business, um, I knew that I was definitely onto something. I had a foresight that it was going to it was going to be a thing. So when you started doing this mm -hmm. and it survives, it's an, I'm guessing you tested it in your own kitchen mm -hmm. with, with your own family and friends, et cetera, et cetera. And you tested and retested, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. If we go back there and what I love about uh, this podcast with you today, Tony, is that your story speaks to anyone who's trying to disrupt any conventional industry. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what you go through, what you went through, what you experienced with the initial naysayers in the beginning, the people who <laughs> laughed in your face and said, this will never work. Yeah, so I experienced that a lot. I mean, 
disrupting an industry like plastic wrap, which is a totally mature kind of a dinosaur. They don't really have anything new up their sleeve at this point. They're doing the same thing is just like ripe with opportunity. And so I knew, I knew that that was a key to my success, but I also knew it was going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. And it sure did. Um, one of the very first markets I ever did, I was nervous. It was my first time presenting this new thing. Like my heart was racing, my hands were sweating. And this man came up to my tiny little card table, embarrassing setup to my brand standards today. <laughs> and he looked at my product and he, he literally laughed in my face. And he said, this will never work. Nobody will ever buy this. Plastic wrap is too big. You'll never have a slice of that pie. And I'm a pretty determined person and he has been my driving force for the last 14 years to prove him wrong. So you can still replay that whole <laughs> encounter, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I can see his face. I can see his face clear as day. The, the way I felt in that moment right now, it's easy. So just, just for, just to, and again, to help our listeners and viewers kind of go with you on the journey. That's 14 years ago. You overcome those initial hurdles and in startups, yeah. uh, you know, that every startup goes through. But Tony, where's a Beagle right now, 14 years later? Can you just paint the picture a little bit so sure. people have context? So today, a Beagle is a trusted brand. It's a product that people, the people that use, love it, believe in it share it, tell their friends about it. I don't get laughed at anymore. I get a lot more congratulations. We're sold around the world, across Canada, US, throughout Europe and Japan. Um, so it's it's a stark difference from my card table with four products at a market in a downtown spot. <laughs> right. And you literally are touching people in different parts of the world. Does it still shock you and surprise you when you get people from faraway countries reaching out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say the most, uh, my favorite part of it is learning about food culture in other countries through the food wrap, because right. everybody is eating very differently around the world and their relationship to Abigo is based on their relationship to their culturally appropriate food. And that's like, that makes my day. Yeah, just give us an example of that when that happens. Um, I would say, I mean, we have a big uh, audience in Japan, so just a lot of the different, I mean, we associate sushi, sushi with Japan quite easily, but there's so many different salads and vegetables and fruit and dishes and stuff that we see popping up on that part of our Instagram feed that I just, I'm inspired by it, it inspires mm. me to try new things. Yeah, there's, and on this journey, let's call it this journey of disruption and innovation you've mm. been on. For some reason, and I think people would be curious to know why you decided, even though you're the inventor, you are the Edison of yes. this particular product, yeah. no one else, no. you decided not to patent. Mm -hmm. Why? That was a really tough decision. And that was, um, oh man, like agonizing, obviously. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm not going to patent it. That's everything. Everything is fine. But the reason I did it was because I... I recognized it as a product that can easily be made in many different situations and many different variations. And I started to be go with $1,200 and a credit card. So I made the choice not to patent it because I didn't want to have to fight 
for it. I didn't have the resources behind me to fight for it. And at the time it felt very right for me to um, focus my attention on building this concept and getting people to believe in it and trust it. And so I made the choice not to patent it. Further, I made the decision to reveal the ingredients, which I did about two years after the business. And that, um, that was a Again, as a nutritionist, I felt like it was really important for people to understand what is touching their food, which is mm -hmm. not something you get in the conventional world of food packaging. You know, there's so many entrepreneurs positioning themselves as very altruistic and want to make the world a better place. But mm -hmm. I can't help but think by willingly sharing your quote unquote, you know, the Colonel's 11 herbs and spices or the Cadbury secret by sharing in that way, Tony, it sounds like you are actually making the world better because mm -hmm. anything that can further this mission, I would think is a good thing. Yeah, I think it's two parts, to be honest. I, I am a very generous person. I do see Abigo as kind of my giveaway product because it, it did have to spread far and wide. But I would also argue that it was a smart business decision because it was such an unknown thing. And my resources were so limited that quite frankly, other beeswax food wraps have brought awareness to the concept faster and far wider than I could have on my own. And so it's a, it's a love-hate relationship for sure. <laughs> I don't love all the different options out there because some are great and some are not awesome. Um, but I do appreciate that people are kind of taking these things into their own hands. What do you love most about being an entrepreneur? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I love the ultimate creative flexibility and freedom as a as an entrepreneur, being able to see the vision and the and kind of like what this company could become, being able to kind of paint that picture and then work toward it. And um, I think the flexibility in um, building new things is one of the things I like the most. You've experienced this journey, uh, like I say, for the last 14 years, mm -hmm. and along the way, you adapted something that the great novelist Stephen King uh, wrote about for writers everywhere. Writers, authors have to be able to kill their darlings, slay their <laughs> babies, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. Innovators and disruptors have to be able to do the same thing. I'd love it if you could share with our audience, uh, which includes John Cena, um, how exactly you went about, uh, you know, killing your darlings. Killing my darlings. See, does that look like the face of a killer? Not, Not at, at all. all right? <laughs> Not at all. Um, so Kill Kill Your Darlings was was raised by my husband very early in the business because he's a writer. And at the time we we had been made this sandwich wrap and this pouch. And and then we had our food wrap, which was just square rectangle sheets that you could use for anything. And the the wrap and the pouch were cute and adorable and people liked them, but they weren't useful. And we were poised to grow through this simple square or rectangle. And Colin said to me, Tony, you need to know when to kill your darlings. And, and so the very first time I killed my darlings was when I stopped making my wrap and my pouch, which were my signature pieces. They were the ones that were always photographed and noticed. Um, but I did it for the greater mission of creating this very, very versatile 
um, food wrap. And I've, and I, I've taken that throughout my business. I've killed many, many darlings. The things I hold dear and close to me are not what everybody else holds dear and close to them. And so they got to go. And that can be a hard thing for entrepreneurs and innovators to give up on Tony. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's a very <laughs> emotional struggle. Can you yeah. take us into that emotional back and forth anyone would experience? Yeah. Well, it's just filled with doubt, right? Like anything that you have poured your soul into, and then you have to let go. A, you have to face the fear of what happens if you let go. You have to face the shame of if, what if you've made a mistake and you have to face the doubt. Um, and then, but the ultimate, ultimately what happens when you kill your darlings is that you've experienced an incredible sense of freedom. So in any case where I have made a decision where I've let go of something near and dear to me, I have flourished afterward because right. it just like unchains you and lets, you're able to just go. Right. And the nice segue, of course, from killing your darlings is to being on the killing floor that <laughs> so many entrepreneurs have experienced when they appear before the dragons. Right. You went there. I did. You braved that studio. Yes, I braved it. Tell us about tell us about what no one will see if they watch your Dragon's Den episode. Tell us the story behind the story. Okay. Well, do you want it? Well, I can tell you the whole truth. You maybe you already know. Um, I was really, really, really sick, like so sick that I could not say a sentence without having a two-minute coughing fit. It was bad. And they had all these uh, things set up for me. There was water, but I knew if I had a coughing fit in the middle of my pitch, I'd blow the whole thing. So I, I had some cough syrup and I'm not, a, I don't take cough syrup. I had a little bit of cough syrup. It didn't work. And then I had a lot of cough syrup and boy, did it work. Um, it completely killed my cough, but it also relaxed me in a way that allowed my real confidence of a Bego to shine through. And I didn't have a single jittery nerve out there. That is there. That is like, came out a perfect edit and it was literally a perfect pitch in my mind <laughs> and and for those who never saw it just take us pull the curtain back even more to let us in on that dragon's den story the outcome oh, and more yes. than anything more than anything tony what you learned from the whole experience Okay. Yeah. So as I, as I, they don't know anything about you. They only know your name and where you're from. And this is a thing I've faced my entire life. But as I came down the stairs, I heard them murmuring to each other. Oh, oh, it's, oh, Tony. Oh, it's, a, oh, it's a woman. Oh, they had no idea. They were expecting a man. And as I walked down the stairs and I could hear them kind of like shuffling, I realized they weren't prepared to speak to me because they had already prepared on some psychological level to speak to a male. And I knew in that moment that I had the upper hand because they, everybody prepares for who they're going to speak to. We prepare differently to speak to men and women. And they were already a little bit off their, their process. So that just gave me like a whole other boost. And I came out there and just like nailed that pitch with them. And then what was the outcome? 
The outcome was that I got a deal. I got a deal with two of the dragons. Um, I didn't go forward with it afterward because it really wasn't like what you see in that image uh, didn't actually exist yet. I was in the process of a complete rebrand. Right. So, that packaging wasn't even for sale yet. We just mocked it up really quickly because we were going to be launching by the time Dragon's Den aired. Right. And I, but I think, I do think, and I mean this, like pull the curtain back, take us right backstage because okay. there's the show that we see, yeah. there's the television show, then there's the real show. Yeah. I think definitely. our audience on the leadership standard is really interested in the real show. Even if they say yes to the pitch, then what happens, Tony? like what happens after exactly and how did it play out for you and again to reiterate like what did you learn from that entire experience mm. okay well there's a few things i learned one thing i learned happened while i was on set as i was standing and presenting in front of the dragons i realized there was no drama because there's no music there's no there's no sound effects all of that is edited and added afterwards so well, I was expecting to have these waves of emotion in the moment. It was just like super, super bright lights and five people across the way. So it wasn't, it didn't have that drama feel on set. And so I think that was a really cool res, um, recognition. And then immediately following my pitch, you kind of go, you leave the stage, you leave the studio and you go out and you're immediately met with a lawyer and the lawyer has all kinds of paperwork and they go over the, that was a great show let's we're now going to go into due diligence there's there's no deal if you shake somebody's hands on dragons and you're going to go into due diligence and they're going to really make the decision about the investment from there right and then how did why why no deal i think our audience would be curious i decided not to take a deal because i felt very strongly that well a i was able to get the the amount in a loan I didn't need to give up equity to get that amount of money. Right. And I also felt like a BO was just like on the precipice of major growth, which turns out I was right. <laughs> Luckily I felt my gut and I just, it just wasn't the right um, equity deal for me at the time. I'm thinking, and I'm forgive me if I'm leaping ahead a little bit, but mm -hmm. I'm thinking the Dragon's Den experience must have been an incredible booster of, of, of self-confidence and, and all kinds of things to become a public presenter. How crucial do you think it is for CEOs to really learn these presentation and storytelling skills? I think it's just the number one skill you need to develop. I started with public speaking and presentation um, pretty early in the my career with the Beagle because what I realized was people would invite me to present, but I, I would be too nervous about it. So I'd say no. A little known fact about me is I used to be paralyzed. Literally, I would lose my voice if I had to do a public presentation. I would not be able to speak. And I decided to overcome that because I realized that it's a major advantage. There's so many people out there that are absolutely terrified to public speak that if you're willing to do it, you're going to get to do it. And that opens you up to a much wider audience. Which leads to an interesting question. Um, what advice, well-earned advice, 14 <laughs> years of advice would you give to other women on their entrepreneurial journey? Mm. Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, I would say probably along the lines of the public speaking, 
um, I would say speak up and put yourself in front of people as frequently as you can with the understanding that you're a total expert in your field, period. And um, having that, that confidence to get up actually just builds more confidence and builds more confidence within your business. We ask this question every time on the leadership standard. It's one of those core questions. Because we're so fascinated with the subject of leadership and because it can be interpreted so widely, what is Tony's definition of leadership? I had to give this one a lot of thought because I feel like we're quite often prompted to, to what we believe leadership should be. And I feel like leadership is a million tiny acts toward bettering yourself. There's this idea of like a natural born leader isn't, I think that it's a myth. I don't think there are natural born leaders, but I think there are certain skills you can develop to be a good leader. And it takes the million small acts of the million wins and failures to become a fully developed leader. And I, I think I'm maybe 25% of the way there. That is very well said. As you can tell, Tony, I'm actually jotting down a few <laughs> notes on this because yeah. I, I love that idea of the million tiny acts. Yeah. Um, in that spirit, um, everyone has a moment. Excuse me. That's one thing you, the, everyone can tell it's a live show because- yeah. <laughs> you can't fight back a sneeze when you're live on social media. But my point is that everyone has that incredible obstacle where leadership is really put to the test. Mm -hmm. What was your biggest obstacle and how did you overcome it? Mm, my biggest obstacle as a leader. I've, there's been so many, to be honest. There really, really has been so many. Um, I... I think probably you would have heard many leaders talk about the challenge of the pandemic. And that was without question, a horrific and incredibly challenging time for us. But I think the hardest time for me as a leader would have been in 2017, the very first time I had to lay off my team. And this was right leading up to my Dragon's Den presentation. And the and I was up for this award where I was going to win win um, a, a grant, hundred thousand dollar grant for the business and through this organization called CEO. And I had to face the fact that I had overproduced. I, my sales were way down. I had to lay off my team, and I had to make all of these decisions before stepping into this prize that I had won because it was my leadership was at stake I had made too many wrong decisions and that was a crushing crushing time yeah because I can't help but imagine when you have to lay people off mm -hmm. uh, and then go accept an award yeah. I, I'm guessing there's a little bit of how would you describe the feeling I mean yeah. Oh, like absolute failure. Like how, right. like they, they chose the wrong person. They hundred percent chose the wrong person. Right. <laughs> Luckily right. there was, that was luck. 
I think one thing that we don't really ever talk about in in business is the natural cycle of business and that that business isn't just this hockey stick up as much as we like to think it is it's just not it's it's a circular cycles and it's more natural than we like to expect and there's times of growth and there's times of loss and there's times of um, stable like being stable again and the loss I had to face then was to become stable enough to to move forward and I faced the same thing at the pandemic it was incredible loss thank you for sharing that Tony because uh, I could not agree with you more it's not all sunshine and lollipops and rainbows and winning awards on stage and no 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 there's there's a lot of ups and downs that people don't see so when you share that moment of feeling you know what was the right word almost fraudulent in that okay what I think is would would be most helpful is how did you get through that like how Mm -hmm. do you find whatever it is inside you to carry on and overcome that I think one thing that I do that helps me overcome these moments is to a I've identified that um, the feeling I'm facing is shame. You know, we, we talk about embarrassment and it's not embarrassment, it's shame. Like it's just like ultimate feeling of shame. And I think in being able to talk about the shame I'm feeling and in, and recognizing that as like a legitimate feeling that you can feel for a little, for a period of time on your path to something else is what helps me overcome these, you know, uh, quite often like outside of my control situations or in some cases entirely my fault situations because at the end of the day as the leader of the company the it's it stops right here so i think recognizing that emotion and and talking about it and feeling it helps me overcome these really difficult times and another nice little segue i can't help but think you could be an expert on personal accountability what would you like to share Personal you, accountability. No, well, no, because you've been just very. I thank you for sharing that, Tony, because you just yeah. took us into the very real life of of a real life leader. Yeah. But at some point, I hear the word accountability surface, mm. or the value of accountability. What What are your thoughts, and what would you like to share on that? Um. Yeah, I think I think I do have. I I am I am. When you, when you asked me about what I thought about leadership, the other thing I was thinking about was about having to have humility. And I think I am accountable in, in the way that I am humble and I am willing to openly address my mistakes, apologize for things that I have done and recognize where it's been, I've been at the, the forefront of the the failure or whatever it is. And I think that's a really important skill that you have to develop as being, is, is having humility. So I don't know if that really answered your question exactly. Hmm. Well, I, I think accountability and humility do kind of walk hand in hand like peas and carrots, right? Yeah. Like fresh vegetables wrapped in a bigo beeswax. <laughs> there you go. So to speak. Um, Back to the business for a moment, because I did want to ask you about being certified as a B Corp. Mm -hmm. Um, Social and environmental responsibility. 
obviously that's very high on your priority list. Uh, please, if I'm passing you the puck, uh, okay, like Connor McDavid to Leon Dreisaitl or whoever. <laughs> One hockey <laughs> like, player to the other. From, from <laughs> Jonathan Huberdeau to, uh, you know, uh, Elias Lindholm, what, what, can, what advice and what insights can you have on that? The B Corp and social environmental responsibility? I think, uh, well, I started, that was kind of like the root of the business was right. social and environmental sustainability and regenerativeness, to be honest. And um, B Corp was, is just kind of like a reward for all of the hard work that we've done versus like the work we did to get the certification. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, we were able to get it fairly easily without doing too much additional things at the time we have lots to do mm -hmm. now um, because they're just principles built into the business and i think that um whether you're going to uh, try to achieve a b corp, b corp certification or not you should be putting these social and environmental um, considerations into your business because it makes for good business sustainable business healthy business profitable business and those things at the end of the day they 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 matter yeah well the and they matter more and more to future generations as we're definitely. seeing those those trends are definitely playing out so for the benefit of our listeners and viewers who aren't quite familiar with the nuances of a b corp what would be your you know 30 second readers digest version uh, a B Corp certification uh, is just a stamp of approval that you are consistently striving to become a force for good, a business that does good in the world sustainably and socially. And it is a never ending journey because the qualification or the how you become certified evolves over time and you have to consistently strive to be better. And that's uh, it. it is a accountability it holds you accountable to the things that you're trying to do in the world in the latest you know we talked about the origins of a bigo and and the testing and the experimenting uh what's going on right now because i would think you pose such a legitimate threat to the a traditional industry i believe the word dinosaur has been associated with this industry <laughs> I believe there's a lot of industries out there facing this. Uh, what's happening right now? So for instance, I, I see the convenience that this replaces food wrap in the kitchen, but I'm also thinking there must be multiple other applications like food packaging and, and mm. things that I haven't even thought about, but what, what are you seeing in your crystal ball? Um, I see a big future for uh, the disruption of food packaging in general, and it it won't be led necessarily by beeswax food wrap. Beeswax food wrap is going to be entrenched in the kitchen. It's going to be a household favorite, but we really do need to make bigger strides in the commercial space, in transportation, and not only from a packaging and waste issue, but from a food preservation issue, because an incredible amount of food is wasted simply because it is not packaged in a food appropriate way in an environment that is the right environment for it from the moment we harvest it till it gets to the table. And, and the food loss, I mean, packaging and plastic aside, the amount of food that's lost and the environmental impact of food loss is just, it's outstanding and it, it, it can't continue. So uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm already picturing what is it like to be Tony DeRosier for a day in your car going from, you know, running like all of us, right? From appointment to errands to all, but the things you must see every day that must l- literally drive you crazy from from because you would see the immediate and how it scales up. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't know. It's a good question. I'm I uh I'm a big problem solver so i i am i see problems everywhere there's a lot of problems to overcome and the biggest problem we have maybe is just apathy and and just the person being like well i can't do enough so i won't do anything at all and frankly um the times where you can't do everything are the times where you need to do something just one thing that contributes to something greater you have to contribute if we all did something small toward a more sustainable future, better food preservation, better materials, uh, we would see major changes in the world in a really fast time frame. I'm making a note of that as well because I uh, concur. Uh, apathy has never, ever been a road to success. Neither has cynicism or skepticism, which uh, segues nicely into inspiration. Who mm-hmm inspires you, Tony? I'm inspired by so many people. And I would say I have a few people in mind, but I'm really inspired by my own parents who my father was an entrepreneur. He was in the roofing business. He's an inventor. He created a whole new way of um, getting materials onto the roof through a hoist system. And my mom is just a really industrious person who they always had a huge garden. They filled our root cellar with produce. So it, it really nurtured this um, deep, deep love of food that I have. And then just on the more searchable, like who would inspire me? There is a woman, Simone Yetch is how you say her last name, um, but it's spelled G-I-E-R-T-Z, Simone Yetch. She is a engineer and an inventor, and she just makes the coolest, funnest projects like a selfie booth for her dog and a, you know, just like really cool, fun, inventive things. She makes me laugh. Let's uh, let's get up close and personal, if we can, for a moment, Tony. Okay. What books are you reading right now? <laughs> I have not been able to get into a book for a very long time. And so I am currently, I've currently started the Harry Potter series because my nine-year-old is in the fourth book. And I feel like I can't relate to the thousands of Harry Potter references a day. That's fantastic. Now, this one's maybe the most important question on the podcast. Okay. Okay. What are your best binge watching recommendations? Ooh, binge watching recommendations. Mm. I can't think of anything since the pandemic, Tony, so many people, so many, so many people have depended on Netflix and other streaming platforms as their lifeline and their escape. And I've been binge watched it all. And I literally cannot think of a single thing, nothing. I'm on the spot. This is live. I don't, I don't have a single. (laughs) This is live. 
This is where, this is where, this is where, Tony, we need you to channel your inner Rip Wheeler. You don't necessarily have to go to the train station or anything like that, but there's got to be at least one show that you would recommend to this audience that is hanging now on your every word. I know. And I, and I seriously can't think of one. We all, we watch a lot of comedies in our household. So, I mean, Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a series that we go back to over and over and over because it's hilarious. It is, they, they address major problems and they never solve any of them. It's great. <laughs> Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. I didn't know that one. No. <laughs> suddenly, see, suddenly that goes on the list. Okay, yeah, you yeah, put yeah. It in there. It's a very self-serving question, that being said. On a scale of one to 10, Scale of one to 10, Tony, how weird are you? Oh, I guess if I answered it myself, I would say I'm probably, I would give myself an eight. Other people might answer weirder. You can pick anyone. Who gets to play you in your film biopic? Hmm. Well, I'm going to if the biopic happens in the future, I'm going to pick my daughter because she is currently shopping for black blazers and wanting to wear the exact same clothes as me. So I think she's already well on her way to being me. You're alone in your car. What do you think about the most? Probably how irritated I am when I see people on their cell phones while driving. What is the closest thing you've ever experienced to real magic? To real magic. I suppose maybe just having, making a human being. My daughter, it's magic. What brings you the most joy in life? My garden. That should be my family. <laughs> but it's my garden. I love it so much. It's constant joy all of the time. Paint the picture for this audience of Tony going into her garden, what she sees and mm. what she feels. It's warm and sunny and there's bright colors everywhere and bees buzzing and flowers blooming and just this the freshest food you could ever eat and it's all a result of just straight downright hard work tell us something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on Ooh, i've been thinking a lot about this one because everybody's worried about oxidization on your avocado and i think i think your avocado is just trying to build a new skin after you slice it open for so all the that's avocado. something, yeah, for all the avocado lovers out there, that's that's browning a good, avocado is not a bad thing. That's a good it's thing protective. to know. Where else are people going to find this valuable information than on the nope. leadership standard? <laughs> Tony, if you could see into the future, what would you like to know? Good question. Um, I'm not, I don't want to see into the future, to be honest. 
I like, I like my life unfolding the way it unfolds. What is the best advice, life or business, that anyone ever gave you that still holds up to this day? Stand up tall. Tell us about that. Um, so when I was quite young, I was a server in a bar and a, and a woman said to me, um, you're shrinking. You need to square your shoulders and stand up tall. Why did that impact a young Tony DeRosier, you think? I don't know. I was, I'm, I'm a much taller person than a lot of my peers. And so I was always like crouched, but it just, it's posture has been something I have, I, I struggle with, and it's something that is pretty much constantly on my mind. And I think it relates to confidence, not just standing up tall. Right. It's more than a physical thing. It's Definitely. a, it's, yeah, it's a mental state of mind. Yeah. So, um, listen, this has been such a fascinating conversation with you, Tony. We've learned so much about Abigo, the mission you're on, but let's flip it back to the audience. So mm -hmm. people are listening right now. People are watching on whatever the platform is. So what is the number one question that leaders need to be asking right now? Another question. Um... Maybe, um, can you paint me a picture of that? Oh, do tell. So I think there's a lot of communication can be complicated, but if you can, um, communication be complicated. And I think that a lot of the people that we are leading have a, a much greater vision than, than is necessarily presented in, in a, in one sentence. And, and if you can get them to go deeper and paint a bigger picture for themselves, um, you just, you just learn more about them and where they're at. And also it's just moves everything forward. I don't know how, I don't know how that sounds exactly. I don't know how much, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. I just want to encourage everyone out there to go a bit deeper in what their, their creative presentations are. In what, they, they're trying, in what they're trying to, uh, to communicate to others, whether it's an audience like this one or whether it's their internal team. Is that where this is coming from? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I'm not totally sure. Yeah. Let's think about that. The, the, the fact that you are the inventor, the global inventor of, of, of a product that is challenging a multi-billion dollar plastic wrap industry is incredibly inspiring. I know that people are going to want to, after watching this or listening to this today, they're going to want to connect with you, connect with a Bego. Give us, give us the rundown, Tony, of, of the best, you know, ways for people to reach out. So obviously social media, we're at a on all of the platforms. Um, you can always email us at hello at a Our website is abigo.com. And we are, we encourage you to reach out and ask us questions. I think a lot of people have questions about the best way to store their food and we have, we have the answers. 
Well, it's been a real pleasure, uh, Tony, to uh, spend this time with you. And uh, we thank you so much for appearing here on the Leadership Standard. Thanks for having me, Gare. It was really fun. Again, uh, kudos and, and much uh, love to uh, Tony DeRosier for joining us here today. And if you want to know more about Tech Canada and its world-class programs, check out the website, www.tech-canada.com. What was it that Tony spoke of that made you stop and think? Uh, I love the part about the million tiny acts to better yourself before bettering others. I thought that was such an, an insightful takeaway. But what was your biggest takeaway? Feel free to share your thoughts because we do read these podcast at techtec-canada.com. And if you thoroughly enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Standard, by all means, feel free to share it, post it so that many of your friends, in other words, uh, the people in your social circles, uh, whether you like, subscribe and share, we want to always inspire others to somehow grab hold of the clutch and go full throttle in this uh, new frontier. So on behalf of everyone that you don't see, Stephen, Melissa, Kat, Alexander, executive producer, Mark Johnson, all the fine people at Tech Canada behind the scenes, I'm Gary Maxwell, and we so appreciate you joining us here uh, with Tech Canada and the Leadership Standard.